And it starts like this. Um, it says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground and the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverbeds. The name of the first is Pishon. I think that's how you say it. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, and here's where we begin the verses that we're dealing with today. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he, the Lord, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and we're not ashamed. Amen. So what's happening in Genesis 2 is that if you could picture a Google map of scripture, we went from a zoomed out position, now it's zooming into one particular place on the globe, because chapter 1 was the whole universe. Sun, moon, stars, earth all of that, creation, 
all the days of creation, but now we're zooming in. You ever do that with Google Maps? So I grew up in Brooklyn, and um, around, the, around the corner, there were these uh, brownstone, you know how like Bill Cosby's family, um, how they lived, brownstones? There were these brownstones, and I, I um, so we were an Italian Catholic family, and I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but this is like so precious to me. I have this memory of walking to school because back then, young kids in elementary school walked to school all by themselves, right? And I have this memory of walking up East 6th Street and then making a left on Avenue X, and there were these brownstones. And in the fall, there were these crunchy leaves and the brownstones, and I would always see um, up on the porches of these brownstones at certain times of the year, these booths made out of whatever, leaves and all kinds of stuff. And my friends, many of them were Jewish, would tell me because it's for a holiday. I didn't know what holiday, I didn't know. But I thought, how interesting, and they would tell me that they would eat dinner in there. And I used to wonder as a little girl what it was like to have a family that did that kind of stuff together, worship God together. Right? So anyway, many years later, I'm an old woman, and I'm on Google Maps looking for something where my sister lived in New Jersey or something. I can't remember, but I said, I'm going to zoom in, and I'm going to do the satellite version, and I'm going to travel around Brooklyn and see if I could find Avenue X and those brownstones. And I did, you guys. I did. And so I traveled up East 6th Street. Dr. Bevelac's house was on the corner. We were so amazed at people who lived in houses because we all grew up in apartments, you know. But Dr. Bevelac, he had his own house on the corner, and his office was in the house. And I traveled up, I traveled up Avenue X, and I saw the brownstones. I traveled past the synagogue that was on the corner, and then my school, which was across the street. It was a lovely, lovely adventure. I never left my house. <laughs> you know? So that's what's happening here. Um, this, this is now a zoomed-in view of what God was doing. It starts with the history of the heavens and the earth in verse 4. Um, and it's the first time that the Lord is named Jehovah. Up to this point, he was Elohim. And then it says in verse 5 that before, before there was any plant of the field, before there was any herb, before there was any rain, and literally it's before there was any sun, and yet God was forming something. And it was going to happen before any of this. But a mist went up for the earth. There was no man to what? To till the ground. Here's a clue into what our purpose is. What, what it was supposed to be. We were going to live in this beautiful place. Trees, food, herbs for medicine, 
in the cool of the day, we were going to walk with God and talk with him. And we were going to till the ground, cultivate. We were going to be farmers, you guys, heavenly farmers. A mist went up from the earth, watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust. That was Adam. Adam is a Hebrew word for mankind. Ish is the Hebrew word for male or husband. Both of those. When the woman is formed, the Hebrew word for woman is isha. A she human, a female, a wife. But Adam is the term for humanity. Now, that was his name also. But sometimes when we read scripture and we think, well, how come, how come man get to do And if you look and if the word says Adam, the Lord's talking about all of us. We are human beings. Okay? Um, and then we'll see at the end of this how, how that works. But the Lord God formed a man out of the dust of the ground. I need to stop there because we're getting somewhere here. Not the gold dust. Just dust. It wasn't the onyx dust. It was just dust. It's very humbling. Why do we think we're all that in a piece of cake too? We're dust, right? We're of the earth. We're dirt. We, we live in the desert. How many of us are constantly fighting dust in our homes? Yeah. We're dust. But God breathed into his nostrils, and he became a living being. And that word being also means soul. That's what makes us different from anything else that was ever created. My body is of the earth. My soul is of heaven. There's that scripture in Corinthians where Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. My body is an earthen vessel, right? The treasure I carry is God, is the Lord. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And then he takes Adam and puts him in the garden. Adam's not even in the garden yet. And I was surprised at this, because I thought Adam was formed while he was in the garden. No. He was somewhere else. God formed him out of the dust outside of the garden. Okay? In verse 8, it says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward. It explains all of that. In, the, in verse 9, the trees are growing. There's a midst. Um, it, the trees are good for food, and the tree of life is there. And there's rivers that are bordering it. And, they, and he names the rivers. Two of them are known today, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and two of them are not known today. But when you look at the map, it's kind of like, Oh, I can kind of see where Eden used to be, kind of, general area, just the way the rivers are formed. Um, 
in verse 15, then the Lord God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to do two things, to tend it and to keep it, to cultivate it, that's the farmer part, and to guard it, and to guard it, to protect it. Here's something very, 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 very interesting. <clears throat> so the Tigris and the Euphrates are borders of Babylon. So what started out to be Adam's paradise ended up being Israel's captivity. So that's where they went into captivity. Is that crazy? What started out to be such a beautiful thing. Okay. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, some translate, dying you shall die. It's a process. That's why they didn't drop dead right then and there. The whole process of dying is going to start to happen if you eat of that tree. And I, I, I have this opinion. Okay, we know what to do with opinions, right? But I have this opinion that we were never meant to have to deal with figuring out good and evil. We were never meant, it's just my opinion now. I don't know that this is true. It seems to me that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was never for us. We were never supposed to have to deal with making those kinds of decisions. It was always supposed to be dependency on God and just doing what he said. And if he said tend and keep, then that's all they needed to be responsible for. But once you know good and evil, once you know that there is that, you are now responsible. And it's a burden we've never been very good at, have we? We've never been very good at making the right decisions. And so when, I don't want to go too far into this because I don't know what pastor's preaching on next week. Um, but we know, we know what happened. When Adam and Eve took of that fruit, of that tree, this is what they did. I no longer believe in, trust in, or respect what God has said. I am now going to believe in, trust in, and respect what the serpent is saying. And so they left a covenant relationship and entered into a different covenant relationship. And that is where we are now. That is what's happening. There was a trade-off. It wasn't just about eating the fruit, which once you know good and evil, what do we do? Teenagers, once they think they know something, I know, I know, they don't listen to a word, right? They no longer trust you because they know 
right? But this is what this is what happened in the garden. Once you know the difference between good and evil, for some reason we take on the on on this we think it's a power thing. It's it's like the death of us, you guys. I'll take care of it myself. I'll handle this. God will handle the other stuff. No, it doesn't work that way. But that's what happened to us. This is what happened to us. It's called self-rule, where we were created to be under the guardianship of God. We removed ourselves out of that protection, and we ended up outside the garden. Those of you who have ever had kids, grown kids, who have been in trouble, and they've burned bridges, and they've stolen from you to continue on in their trouble, or whatever it is kids do, there comes a point where you say what? You can no longer live here. Under my roof, you need to abide by my rules, right? But if you won't abide by my rules, then out the door you go. That's called, what do we call that? Tough love, love, right? Tough love. And yet that's exactly what happened to humanity. The Lord said, you don't live by the one simple rule I gave you then you need to go. Because here, in this garden, we do things a certain way. And so the Lord established what has now become the hope. This is is where we're all going to be restored. Okay, so I don't want to get ahead. Okay. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper compatible to him, comparable to him. Same nature, same value. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed all the animals. And there was nothing there that would be a help to Adam, right? Nothing. And Adam gave names to all the cattle. Okay, this was very interesting. How many of you ever read the book of Daniel? You know about Daniel and, and, and his friends, right? They're very young. They're brought into captivity into Babylon. And the first thing Nebuchadnezzar does, rename them. Because giving someone a different name They were proving their domination over you. I own you now. I will give you the name I want you to have. I did that with Molly when I adopted my little chihuahua. Her name was Roxy when I got her. I didn't like Roxy. She's my dog now. And her name is Molly. Fully, it is good golly, Miss Molly. She's mine, and I can name her what I want. 
And so Adam named all the animals. See, that was part of what he was given to do. He had authority over that garden because he was under God's authority. Okay. But God didn't find anyone suitable for helping Adam. Adam didn't complain. It was the Lord. The Lord had compassion on this man who stood alone. And he said, I got to find a, a helpmate for him, a helpmeet for him, someone to come alongside and do with him the things he can't do. Let's think about this a minute. Let's think about it. Here's Michael, strong, right? Has some wisdom. Knows how to do certain things. And yet there's certain things he can't do. God was searching for that one complementary person who could do the things he couldn't, and he could do the things she couldn't. And so the two of them together could do it. Right? Could do it. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And the Lord took one of Adam's ribs. I think when I was in sixth grade, fifth, fifth or sixth grade, we were told by the teacher that all men are missing one rib to this day. It turns out not to be true at all. <laughs> But I always remember that. It always made me think, I wonder, I wonder what this God thing is when I was little, you know, like, really? Do they, are they, do they not have a rib? And do I have an extra one? What, what's going on? It was just that one time. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. So I was reading in Matthew Henry, Henry's commentary, um, trying to put this together because it's so powerful to me. He said this. He said, not out of the head that she should rule over him, not out of his feet that she would be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. Is that the most beautiful thing? the side, right? But my thought I added to this was that Adam's missing a rib. And so that part is vulnerable, whatever rib it was, whatever organ. And so she is now brought to his side. She protects his vulnerability. That's how it was supposed to be. How are we doing in that area, you guys? How's the world doing? Not too good. Do you know the, the, the divorce rate inside the church is, is, is the same as the world's now? Did you know that? We're not doing well. And I think the important thing for me is that 
and we're going to be reading some scriptures after this, the important thing for me is that everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the reality of God. Everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the real. Does that make sense to you? Passover was a shadow of Christ being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you get where I'm going? Sabbath and marriage were the only two ordinances that were created before sin entered the world. Rest and marriage. So they're precious to the Lord. He established that before they were He didn't establish those things to fix sin. They were there before sin ever entered. So they're precious to the Lord because they're a picture of our relationship with God in heaven. And we'll get to that. But I want you to know when God takes away, as he took away the rib, it's never to create loss. It's always to supply a much-needed gain. Always. And so anything God does in our lives, if we're walking with the Lord, be very aware that sometimes we will lose, but we will win. We will lose, but it's going to be a picture of God's... We, we sang that song today. I have seen so many miracles. And most of them came from first suffering some kind of loss, right? Some kind of grief. That's when we see the miracles. That's when we notice the miracles. Can I say it? Because we're really dull when things are going well, aren't we? <laughs> All right. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he, the Lord, brought her to Adam. Like a father brings his bride, his, his daughter, to the groom. How beautiful when a father walks his daughter down the aisle and gives her away, you know? And this is what the Lord is doing right here. He's bringing her to the man. And Adam said, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman because she was taken out of man. I'm going to call her Isha. Female, wife, because she was taken out of Ish, not Adam, Ish. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Where's the joining? Side by side. And that word join is like glue. It means glue. Because the two shall become one flesh, not one spirit, not one soulmate, one flesh, it takes two to be a full human being. It takes two to be a full human being. You two, right, are Adam. Male and female, he created them. Isn't that beautiful? And so, not to say that we're not going to face a lot of difficulties in our lives, but to know, to know, to know, to know, you guys were brought together. You are stuck. You are glued. You, to the Lord, you're one flesh. And don't mess with that. Can I say that? Don't mess with it. Are we going to hit hard roads? You're going to hit hard roads. 
But with the Lord, you learn how to ride over those bumpy roads. Someday, someday, the road's going to smooth out. I don't know when, you guys. <laughs> I don't know when. But I know that they will. Can I read to you some scriptures? Because I don't want to end. This isn't about just humanity. Because, again, everything written in the old is going to be revealed for the true reality of what God was talking about, right? Um, here is the scripture. It's the very first one. This scripture, this is Paul writing. It's in 2 Corinthians. And this is the first time where it really struck me a while back of what Paul was really saying about the burden he carries for the church. Because we are going to get this back to the church, okay? He said, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. It's not going to be up. It's on your papers. I'm sorry, you guys. For I have, now this is Paul speaking, so we need to know. For I have espoused you to, to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul is saying the church is the bride. Christ is the husband. And his burden is to make sure that while, while the church is in this engagement period of her life, that he can keep her pure and chaste, that when he walks her down the aisle and presents her to Jesus, do you get the picture? Paul is being the dad of the church. It's so beautiful to me. In Ephesians 5.30, the second one, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Can you hear Jesus saying, ah, church, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. A companion suitable for me. Isaiah said, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. <laughs> First Corinthians 10.6. Now these things became our examples, this is what I'm talking about, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Be careful. All our relationships, be careful. You find yourself desiring other things outside of that relationship, do something about it right away. Squish it. Run from it. 
Again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, now all these things happen to them as what? As examples. And they were written for our admonition or our encouragement, our warning. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now that was 2000, well, yeah, that was about 2,000 years ago at the end of the ages had come. So we're much closer now. Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Hope is an anchor for our souls. God breathed into us, and we became a living soul. Colossians, Paul again. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Hebrews, for if he, speaking of Jesus, speaking of Christ, if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for the Lord said to him, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you, on the mountain. We think reading those parts of the Old Testament when they're creating all the things that they need for the temple and the measurements, and the, it's tedious to read. It's tedious to read. And yet God was forcing, you, you need to be exacting because this is a shadow of heaven. This is a shadow of heaven. And so the Lord demanded, I want a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell. I want gold thread woven into the blue thread. I want it to be this high and this wide and this thick. Because they were going to go and worship in a replica of heaven. Oh, man. Hebrews 8, 6. But now he, the Lord, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. We're going to get to that. I want to skip down to Isaiah 54.5. I want to save the Revelation ones for last. Is that okay, even though they're not in order? For your maker, capital M, that's the Lord, is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, and he is called the God of the whole earth. God is our what? Husband. Hosea 2. I will betroth you to me, the Lord, forever. Forever. That's okay. That's good. 
Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. What's, what does betroth mean? Promised. Engaged. Ephesians chapter 5, 23 through 32. For the husband is the head of the wife. There's no reason to not like that statement. <laughs> there is really no reason. <laughs> I worked full time 20 years. I was always thinking, man, <laughs> I would just want to be home. I just want to be a homemaker. I just want to, you know, continue raising kids and blah, 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 and all that. Is that there are some advantages. <laughs> For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. As also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. The Lord is. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Listen, that, that sounds demeaning. In reality, what you're saying, what God is saying, is I'm putting on the husband a grave responsibility. He's the one who's going to have to finalize every decision. It's going to be on his head the consequences of any decision he makes. This is why we're called alongside, because this is a man's vulnerability, is the pressure of having to make a right decision. I can't be fighting that all the time, you know? Teamwork makes the... <laughs> you, we have to know, we have to know that. Uh, and a lot of times we usurp uh, we think we're usurping power, and what's happening is we're usurping a um, responsibility. And that's not always right if it's out of order. Okay, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, here's... <laughs> See, we're weak in, in letting ourselves be led by you, men, but here's your weakness or the Lord wouldn't tell you to do it. Love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And, and I'm joking, you guys, because our relationship with Christ isn't our model for marriage. Our model for marriage should be showing the world what our relationship with Christ is. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. And it's so important for us to take the ordinances of the Lord seriously. It's no longer about me, right? And every member of a marriage or a family needs to say, every member of a church needs to say, it's no longer about me. Hmm. Where was I? Oh, yeah, the Ephesians one that none of us like to read too often. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he, the Lord, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. This is what Jesus is, is, is trying to tell us. That, that covenant relationship with, between a man and a woman is a picture of the covenant relationship between the church and Christ, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. He nourishes us, and he cherishes us. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, glued to her. And the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. We don't have to understand everything about marriage. We just have to know it's really special, and it's a commitment, and it's binding, right? And uh, we should be careful to honor that. Okay. Let's go back to the first Revelation one. Revelation 19. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, the Lord said to John, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Revelation 21, 9, 11. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me what? A great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light, that's Jerusalem, was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river, was what? You see, this whole journey we're on with Christ is a journey back to where we started. He's getting us back to heaven, to paradise. 
to being able to walk in the cool of the day and talk with him. Unless we know that for true, we're going to keep forgetting and doing our own thing, right? And so this is, he's getting us back to a, a relationship with him. It's what he's always wanted. Even in Exodus, he said to Pharaoh, the Lord said to Pharaoh, I could have wiped you out in a second. I didn't have to do plague after plague after plague. I could have wiped you right out. But that wasn't the point. The, the point was to help you to see that I am the Lord and that my name would go throughout the whole earth. Remember, we we're reading that. God's intention is never to annihilate. It's to reconcile, to reconcile, to reconcile. But like a parent of tough love, you either, if you're going to be under my umbrella, you're going to do it my way. Otherwise, you need to leave. You need to figure out how to live on your own. And that, well, we'll get to that another day. Okay, it was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. He's going to rename us, you guys, because we're going to come back under the ownership of God. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And then it says, and the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And then John writes, he who testifies to these things says, and Jesus says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. And he closes with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. How quickly we forget the whole reason for our salvation some days. We quickly forget. And so we revert back to self-rule, complaining about the curse. <laughs> um, oh, why do I have to work so hard? And I hate my job. And Oh, my husband this, oh, my wife that, and, you know, all of this. And yet, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He endured the difficulty and the pain, and the, I mean, it was, it was scary to face crucifixion. So much so, he asked the Lord in the garden, take this from me. If there's anything I can do to get out of this, yet not my will, but yours be done. For the joy set before him, he knew what was on the other side of that cross. He would be resurrected. He would be restored to the right hand of his father. He would be restored to his kingship, 
and his lordship. And so you see, this is what we need to be doing, especially in the, in the days ahead. And I, I just, I need to say that. Because the days ahead, we have no idea what we're facing. But we're facing something, and it's going to be hard. And we're going to say, Lord, if you can get me out of this. But we have to keep our eyes on the prize. That was another scripture that we, we studied recently, that Moses, he chose to not be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose instead to be with the people of God and suffer persecution and tribulation because he had his eyes on the reward. We've got to stop taking our eyes off of why we're even here, why we've even been saved, why we've even been redeemed, why, why the Lord left the Holy Spirit to work with us, to work in us, to work through us. We've got to keep our eyes on the prize, and it's this. I, you and I, all of us who are born again, we're engaged. And we need to be in clean robes when we attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. Is that the most beautiful? How, how can we keep our eyes on this? How can we keep our eyes on this when things are getting rough in our marriage, in our job, in our relationships with friends or with our children? Children will drive us crazy. Talk about people bent on self-rule, and I can't talk much because I was the queen of self-rule. <laughs> Pat said it so well. There is a beauty in submitting and letting God take responsibility for my life. There's a beauty in knowing that I get to be with him. Face-to-face, -face, the word says. And so, that's my... I mean, I, I long for that for all of us. That's why the word is so important. Um, you know, you don't need very many books in your life. All these self-help books, and I mean, I know, they have something to say, but it's not much. You know, how, how, how many years can you spend trying to understand yourself or find yourself? Come on. <laughs> my, in my drug years, it was so I could find myself. <laughs> I was searching for the truth. <laughs> Boy, was I in the wrong direction. <laughs> um, we need to... We need to we need to fight against our own selves to continue on. We really do. This is a fight for our lives. It's a fight for our lives. 
And so at some point, you have to come to a, a place in your life where I am so disgusted with how I do things. I'm so disgusted with uh, the decisions I've made. I'm so disgusted with ignoring God, ignoring the word, ignoring prayer, ignoring fellowship, not, not taking it seriously, all of that stuff where you just say, For, forget you to yourself. <laughs> you know, I've had enough. I'm going the way of God. And he says, read, I'm going to read the word. If that word washes me and cleanses me, well, just getting around every day in the world gets you dirty. Don't you know? Don't you know that? How many thoughts, how many hateful thoughts do you have in a day when you're at work? How many grumblings? That's all dirt on your robe, right? And so the word washes us. Jesus told the disciples, I don't need to wash all of you. You've been washed by the word I have spoken to you. So the word cleanses us. Talking to God. I'm practicing today in prayer the normal conversations I'm going to be having with the Lord when I'm with him. And if it's weird now, it's going to be even weirder then. <laughs> so, right? Worship, same thing. Learn to worship God every day. It doesn't mean singing. It means acknowledging his greatness, you know? Because in heaven, that's all we're going to be doing. Worshiping. Learn to figure out how to love the people who are next to you in life. Because God's going to make sure the ones you have trouble with are going to be next to you in heaven. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. It doesn't say that. <laughs> I just think that sometimes. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, throw away, throw away your opinions that don't line up with God's word. Don't be, I was afraid of this word today. When Pastor presented it to me, he, he called it, you, you, you know, he's been doing in Genesis firsts. So this section, 18 to 25, was a first marriage. You know, and how many of us in this room have failed or have experienced failure in that area, you know, at one time or another. And um, so it's hard because you, you don't want to go on a tangent. Oh. You know, a lot of people have a hard time calling God Father because their earthly fathers were not that great. We don't want to do that because there's no comparison, right? We have to learn everything new again, everything new again. We can't base heaven on how we've conducted our lives. We have to base heaven on what God says. We have to base what marriage means by what God says. We have to base what Sabbath means. And listen, any day you pick to give to the Lord as a Sabbath is a good day. Because we've accomplished the rest. The rest came in the gift of salvation. Okay. Studying the word. Can I make a commercial? I'm going to end with a commercial. We've been, we've been doing this thing called um, Foundations. It's really not Foundations. The book is called Foundations. But, and what it is, um, 
there's been different groups that have started. The book guides us into what to read every day. That's really all the book is doing. But for five days a week, each day you have something to read and something to write about. You, you explain what that scripture is. Um, you write how it applies to you, and you write your response to it. And so five days a week, you have to have that commitment at home to be spending some time with the Lord in prayer, in reading, in writing. Then when we come together, we just sit and share what what we noticed each day. So we bring our notebooks with us and we just talk about that. We're not reading together the scripture. We're not writing together, taking time to do that. We're just talking it out. What has happened, how many of you are in a, a foundation group? Just stand up a second. I want to say, okay, what, you tell me if I'm wrong. What has happened is people have discovered the beauty of spending time, time with the Lord, time with the Lord. And Charlene, if I can use you for a minute, Charlene, she said, come here. You know what you said in the group? You said it in the group, so I figure I could tell it to the whole group. Okay. <laughs> Charlene said, I never knew Israel was a man. Mm -hmm. Yes. She's been saved a lot of years. Yes. And she confessed, I should have what? Paid more attention to what Brother Frazier was preaching, and I didn't read my Bible as much then. Mm -hmm. And so we've been saved a lot of years. Yes. And Charlene is coming to know the word. Yes. In a way, she's never known it before, and you know? Just like Rosie said, it's delicious. I start reading it, and I can't stop. I just I put it on my phone, our Bible app, and I listen to it. When I'm driving, when I'm parked at uh, the school waiting for my grandkids to get out of school to pick them up, I listen to it. It's wonderful. It's so delicious that you cannot put it down. Isn't that good? Yes. Yes. Birdie. Come here, Birdie. Okay. Birdie is our, is our um, she's just a gem. You're a gem. Birdie is, is new to walking with the Lord relatively. And so at first she wouldn't read. She wouldn't. She didn't like to share, and now you can't shut her up. <laughs> and it's delightful. And Arlene, how many scriptures have you memorized, Arlene? Quite a few, right? Michael, what has it done for you? Come here. You know Michael is Rosie's son, Pastor Richard's son. Uh, it's just opened my eyes to getting close to the Lord, man, and uh, getting to know the Word. Um, 
spending time daily with them, starting my day off with them, um, and surrender. And that's, that's what I'm experiencing, just a bunch of surrender. You know, just giving it all up to him. I can't control everything. He's the one who has the plan, not me. And so, Paul and Daniel, you're in one, aren't you? Tom, you've been going too, correct? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. There's different, there's different ones and, um, th that are going on different times, different days of the week. If you're interested, let me know. If we have to form a new group, we'll start a new group. As a matter, as a matter of fact, let me know and, and, and let me know what, what day is good. If it's night or morning or middle of the week or a weekend. We've got to figure this out, guys, because as you can see, just out of these few verses, God is saying so much to us. But we wouldn't know it if we didn't know all the other verses in Scripture. You know what I mean? Okay, in our, our little group, it seems to be dwindling down from sickness and people, you know, having to care for others and stuff. And I was going to come this week and tell Linda she was going to have to start working on her uh, people skills. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Birdie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Marriage should be a picture of our relationship with God. Should be. But the only way I know for that to even happen is if you're born again. And if the Holy Spirit is alive and well living in you. And really, anything we've been given to do from the Lord requires the help of the Lord. Just about everything is impossible without him. Patience, impossible without God. Endurance, impossible without God. And I don't mean like God is holding your hands and saying, come on, you can. I'm saying we've got to know what God has said, and we've got to believe that it's true. We've got to know that God is a God of his word, that he doesn't go back on anything, that he is a firm foundation a rock that we stand on, if we know that, and we've, how many of you have seen miracles in your life? Okay. Every miracle should be an, a, another rock that you're standing on. You need to look back on what God has done in order to move forward. This way, you're building, you're being built. The Holy Spirit in me is dealing with my character. That's where the fruit comes from. 
I have had faulty fruit my whole life. But I've been grafted into a different tree, and now different fruit is coming out of me. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. The gifts of the Spirit really have nothing to do with me except that I am yielded, and they're for you. The gifts you have are for me and everyone else, right? Fruit and gifts. The commands of the Lord, the commands of the Lord can be accomplished only by the strength of the Lord in our lives. We are the ones who have to yield to what he's doing. I've got to yield to what he's saying to me. I've got to make way for everything in marriage and in life. Okay. Do you think we're done? I'm done. The, the only point I want to drive home is that we need to know any idea we, we had about marriage and how it was going to meet, meet my needs is not, is not the picture of heaven. Marriage is a selfless covenant partnership, isn't it? Selfless. Because Christ is everything. Christ is everything. And he loves your spouse as much as he loves you. And the, the, the act of marriage, I don't care what the world does to it, we can't give in to that. There are no compromises walking with God. And if Sabbath and marriage are the, the only two things ever done before sin, we'd better protect and guard them. We'd better protect and guard them. Because the world is making a mockery, right? But the world always has. This is nothing new. It's just out in the open now, okay? It's just out in the open now. But we really have to make a stand. We don't have to be loud and obnoxious, but we have to make a stand in our own hearts and, and dealing with the people that we deal with, we have to be truthful, we have to be honest, and above all, we have to be very loving. Because this isn't about hating people. This is about dealing with sin that's binding them and causing them great difficulty and anguish. Does that make sense? Let's pray.